Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There. Welcome to episode 148 of Love That Album podcast, which is really a continuation of episode 147. In case you didn't get around to having a listen to that, please go back. Uh, I'd really appreciate it. But the theme of these two episodes is a celebration of the 10th anniversary of the existence of this very podcast. Yay! 10 years ago in July of 2011, I started up this podcast. If you want to hear all the details, go back to episode 147 or in Indeed, go back to the very first episode of the show. I can't guarantee that you'll enjoy it because in those early days, I didn't have a clue what the hell I was doing, but I did it anyway. And here we are 10 years later. I'm very, very thankful for anyone who's stuck with the show all these years or just come onto the show very recently. Thank you very, very much. In case you didn't listen to episode 147, the idea was that I wanted to ask a bunch of people who'd been on the show before, people who meant a lot to me and were very important to the ongoing history of the show, I asked them to come on and talk about one or two favorite albums from the past 10 years, basically over the course of this show's existence. So I asked seven people and I played four in the first part and that episode went for about two and a quarter hours. I've got another three. Now, I didn't want this to be a four, four and a half hour podcast because some people get very upset about shows that are 10 minutes long. So I thought I'd keep everyone happy. Two and a quarter hours is still a bit of a lengthy listen. And this time around, we'll have a bit of a shorter show than the last one. But still, three wonderful people come to join me to talk about some favorite recordings of theirs from the last 10 years. We'll start off with Bill Pinnell, a man who probably I wouldn't even be having any involvement in radio or podcasting if I hadn't first heard him in the early 80s through to the early 90s, back then doing the album show on Eon FM, which became Triple M. Huge inspiration to me. 
me as someone who loves to talk about music. Then we'll be hearing from Shane Pacey, lead singer and guitarist of the Bondi Cigars, great blues outfit around Sydney Way. He's actually the one musician we have over these two shows. And Shane's been on quite a few shows over the last two, three years and always has some really fascinating opinions about music. He's really a great go-to guy for albums that seemingly I would have thought other people would have loved, but didn't want to talk about. So thanks very much, Shane. You've been great. And the final presenter over this 10th anniversary edition will be the man we know as Raymond J. Bartholomew's Dr. Ray Good and the host of Rockwiz, Mr. Brian Nankervis. It's always a huge honor that he wants to say, yes, he's happy to come onto the program. But just like everyone else, he's someone who says, oh, you like music? You want to talk about music? I'm there. So listen to what Brian has to say. And his is actually quite a very long segment. That would have made a great show unto itself. But I've managed to fit it into just under an hour. We had a really great discussion. It was just so much fun talking with him about his musical picks for the last 10 years. Okay, Joe will now reveal the contact details and then we'll get straight into it. I'll be back at the end of the show to talk about what's going to be happening on episode 149, which will be the start of the next 10 years. You're listening to Love That Album 148. I got a dusty old pile of vinyl records sitting on my floor. We hope you're enjoying the show. You can find previous episodes at lovethatalbumpodcast.blogspot.com Com, or you can get it along with any of the other great music discussion shows at rockandrollarchaeology.com, all part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. To keep up to date, subscribe to the show via Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. You can email Morris with feedback or album suggestions at rrrkitchen at yahoo.com.au. Join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash love that album and start a music-related discussion. And we're back on this 10th anniversary episode of Love That Album. And my next guest is a man who I think I can honestly say if I hadn't heard his radio show on EON slash EON FM throughout the 80s, I probably wouldn't be doing this. My big inspiration in broadcasting, Mr. Billy Pinnell. G'day, Morris. Good to see you, mate. And thanks so much for asking me to come on your show too. And you're the only person out of this whole program who we're speaking looking face to face. Oh, not that on, good or bad, Morris? No, that's a great thing. Oh. No Skype, no Zoom, no phone, just face-to-face. Now, that's me. That's, yeah. that's good. All right, so once again, the brief was that I would ask you to bring to the listeners' attention some favourite albums of yours recorded over the last 10 years, over the lifetime of this podcast. That's a huge task because it's remembering a lot of great albums from the last 10 years would have taken probably quite a bit of time. But I changed the rules slightly. I listened probably more closely to music during lockdown on a day-to-day day basis that I would have had the time to do otherwise and so I limited my selection to maybe the two albums I'd listened to most of all during that year year and a bit during the time when we were all locked down and finding ways to get our mind off stuff that was going around us with a lot of us music was the medicine and there were two I came up with one is 
I guess they're called a jazz trio because the lineup is quite different to probably anything that I'd investigated before to do with any sort of music. So we'll call them a jazz trio. So got a guitar player called uh, Robbie Melville and two saxophonists, Gideon Brazil, playing tenor and baritone, and an alto player called Monty McKenzie, who also occasionally plays clarinet. There's no rhythm section. They've recorded two albums and no rhythm section, no drums, no bass. So I was curious at the start to listen to see what three musicians, no vocals, would do with that sort of lineup, And it took a lot of listening, I must say, but it was so rewarding. It, it, it was captivating. It was something I looked forward to listening to. It was quiet. And so I needed that sort of distraction as well as some other sort of music would give me an, another perspective about what was going on around me. So it was like what a lot of people would have done with music while, while I was stuck inside. And the first album was called Quiet Sufficient. was really looking forward to see them play live and on the eve of their performance of course COVID started sort of even toward the end of March uh, 2020 so never got to see them but about 12 months later they released a second album called To Iceland To Iceland concept and the title of the album came to Robbie Melville through events that happened in his private life, the birth of a child, the loss of a loved one, and that in fact inspired some of the songs on his first album on Quite Sufficient. So Iceland, Iceland was inspired by his wife giving him a book of the Icelandic sagas, which I guess are stories, poems. He was so inspired by that that he wrote an entire album based on this book of the history of Iceland that his mother had given him. So those sort of inspirations for musicians, I found those pretty impressive too. And so I'm looking forward now to, to seeing them play, though I'm, I'm, I'm sure an opportunity will arise, not sure, we're hoping, aren't we, that an opportunity will arise to see great bands like this playing live before or sooner than later. And what they were going to do when they were going to be promoting Quite Sufficient and To Iceland, to Iceland they were going to do it, it's a little venue in Ligon Street, up the end where Triple R is. And it's like a, a wine cellar. It would have been the perfect room for that sort of music. And they were going to have somebody showing visuals that connected with the music. So just the concept of that was so exciting, but unfortunately it didn't happen. But I'm, I'm left with these two really extraordinary albums. Now, you sent me an email yesterday just to point out what the recordings were that you were going to be talking about so i made sure that i had a quick listen to some of antelotic's music and first track i heard was a tune called no dialect i'm not sure which of the two albums that's from whether that's that's the first track on to iceland to iceland
the first thing I thought of, my goodness, it sounds like I'm listening to a great album from the ECM record label. Their style of jazz. So we're talking about saxophonists like uh, Joe Lovano or Jan Garbarek. Yeah. Uh, and you've got an alto player and a tennis saxophone yeah. player, as well as doing a little bit of harmony, but they're doing some unison stuff. And there was just something that reminded me of some of the classic ECM type of music. So you know, maybe on uh, like the 8081 album by Pat Metheny, which had Dewey Redman and Michael Brecker playing it. And there's just something about that. I'm thinking it's like oh, a European approach to jazz. I can see exactly what attracted you towards that. I just found that cut and I listened to about three or four other cuts. I just found it mesmerizing and I'm really attracted to it. It is gorgeous stuff. Well, I'm, I'm really pleased. You can find them on YouTube. Both the albums are featured fairly heavily on, on YouTube. and. They'll be a fascinating band to watch live with two horn players and a guitar player. Mm. I'm looking forward to it. Definitely, if you hear anything about a performance, an upcoming performance, let me know because I certainly want to be at that. I will. Now, the second album, I played nearly as much as I played both the Antelotic albums. And this, this one's a bit different because it's not actually released yet. I was made aware of it by a Melbourne singer-songwriter called Marcel, who I'd heard briefly before in an acoustic performance that, that, um, that, that she did at a radio station. And I was really impressed by the power of one of the songs that she'd written called Scarred. It's interesting that she had a background in, first of all, in ballet, in classical music, she sang opera, then she went to uh, music theatre, and so her influences are vast, and she's got a lot of a lot in common with singers like Nina Simone, Julie Andrews, Tori Amos, Pat Benatar, Alicia Keys, Lannis Morissette, who all sort of flirted with classical music before finding um, their own voice. And that's what Marcel's done on an album called Falling Forward, which was going to be released of course, during 2020, but like the Antelotic albums, at least they got theirs out. But Marcel was going to launch her album during the weeks where we're all the months where we're all stuck at home. So hopefully it'll be finally released this year in 2021. What's also so impressive about it is that she uses so many different feels for all the songs. Like the music sits somewhere between funk, jazz, rock, techno, pop and classical. So the power of the songs and the power of her voice and, and the passion in, in her voice, that, that really got to me, as did the musical arrangement. So they were my two most played albums over the last, I guess, 12 to 18 months. Mm. So what was the name of that Marcel album? It's called Falling Forward. Some of the tracks will be available to look at on YouTube, but the album Anus Entirety will be released hopefully during this year. So they're my most to listen to albums over the last 12 months. And as I said, Marcel's lyrics explore the complexities of the human spirit. And there's a lot that goes on within that scope. 
So the songs are powerful both lyrically, musically, and with someone who, who really sings from, from, from her heart. So they're my most two listened to albums over the last 18 months and they really were a tonic during that time at home when I knew I could put something I was going to listen to that would really hit the mark for me. So they're the, uh, they're the two that I isolated from all the wonderful albums that I'd heard but they're, because they were more recent probably and because they played a role in some pretty bad stuff for all of us that was going down at the time, they became my two choices for your, um, for your podcast. One of the big things that the media or that has been spoken about in media, both newspaper and social media, is about the hard circumstances that musician or anyone in the arts is having to undergo. Because, I mean, like, you know, of course, it's difficult for anyone, no matter what your profession is, but for people who need an audience to be heard or to be seen and not being able to do that. I know that actually over the last 12 months, a lot of musicians have taken a lot more to doing streaming performances so thank goodness for that technology yes, being available yes. and doing it as much to just being able to perform or people out of the goodness of their hearts will donate some money towards the performance yes. but like you i'm really looking forward to seeing more shows on a live stage before the most recent lockdown things were starting to look up a bit and you know been to one or two shows and but i've had uh, two or three other shows that i had put cancelled but i really feel for people like marcel and antelotic who are really working by word of mouth they are and the, the frustrations for any musician that wants to get their music out to an audience but can't because there's a much bigger picture going on and th- these are responsible people who won't i'm sure won't do anything to jeopardize the situation of other people who can't get out and play music and have mm. got to stay indoors also so they're admirable people and it's accentuated even more that they can give people music to make them feel better and and people that write this extraordinary music, they're a minority, otherwise we'd all be doing it. But it's a gift that they offer listeners. A listener can either accept it or reject it, it's up to them. But it's just a great gift to have, to be able to create something that will reach other people and make them feel better. I haven't looked up about Marcel, but I did look up for Antelotic. Their albums are available on Bandcamp. So any listeners who've liked the snippets that I've played here, within this conversation you can search them out there hopefully marcel will have something on Bandcamp. if there is i'll make an announcement at the end of the show but anything else off the top of your head no if, if i start this this will cause a chain reaction we'll be right <laughs> afternoon there was another album that i did listen to we we won't feature it today because of a time restriction but towards the end of or the beginning of maybe 2020 i became aware of a young melbourne singer-songwriter whose music really touched me her name is Bridget Sharp, young Melbourne girl who put a band together called Dandy Cat. She's a singer, songwriter, band leader, musician, and she wrote some really powerful songs, one called Meat. Dandy Cat. Their album, I think, is available somewhere on Bandcamp or, or some of the usual outlets that have new music there. But Falling Forward um, by Marcel and the two albums of Antelotic, which are they're my favourites of the last day, there's three of them. And so quite quite sufficient to Iceland to Iceland and Falling Forward are albums that I, I'm hoping people will investigate and 
either accept them or reject them. What do we do with that? No, music? no, they've got to accept them. Got to right, accept right. them. Oh, okay. My huge thanks to you for coming along and having this discussion. And one thing that I've spoken with you about this before, but one thing that I've always loved about listening to you when, you know, back in the days of the Eon FM album show and any time you've been on Triple R is your championing of the new, your championing of the local, and you've done it again. I mean, there's lots of great stuff that gets a voice through much of the media, mm. and you're saying, well, you know what? There's great music to be heard just next door, and that's what you've done today. I'm really, really grateful oh, good for on that. You, well, thanks for the opportunity. My door is always open to you, Bill. Thanks so much. All right, we'll be back in a moment with another guest on this 10th anniversary of Love That Album. the 10th anniversary edition of Love That Album. And my next guest is another guy who I consider to be hugely important to the history of this show. He's the only professional musician who is on this 10th anniversary episode. And that's sort of unusual. What does it say about me? I'm getting too many people who are commentators and not enough musicians. We sort of made friends in another Facebook music group a few years back. And for some reason, he was into a lot of the albums that I thought lots of people would want to talk about. But no one else did. But this man always did. His name is Shane Pacey. He's the guitarist and lead singer for the Bondi Cigars out of Sydney and the Shane Pacey Trio. Welcome back to the show, Shane. Hey, Morris. How you doing? All the better for hearing your dulcet tones. It's been shocking that it's been a whole year since we've spoken on the program. But within the course of like little under two years, you are on half a dozen Love That albums. And I don't think I'd had anyone in that much over such a relatively short period of time. I just sort of kept on thinking, oh, no one wants to talk about Marion Faithful. Oh, hang on, Shane will. No one knows anything about the squeeze argy-bargy. Oh, no, Shane will. It's just my go-to guy for the albums that I think are Pantheon, but no one else in my podcasting community does. So thank goodness for you. That's all I can say. I'm happy to be that guy, Morris. So, so before we get into talking about your picks for this episode, what have you been doing musically over lockdown? Have you been writing stuff for like a, a new solo album? Because you did do one that was sort of looking at your folk side of things. Yeah, yeah. Well, we haven't really had much of a lockdown up here because I'm in New South Wales. I've been doing gigs and traveling a little bit. I've also be, been working with this holds up inverted commas super group with Clayton Dolly, uh, who plays with Jimmy Barnes and quite a few other people. And he's got his own things going and a Sydney singer called Sally King who's like a sort of a legend of, in the soul and blues scene up here who's kind of been a bit quiet the last few years but has got a voice from hell so we had this great idea to put this little super group together to play at Blues Fest for the last two years we've been meaning to do it we were all ready to go for blues it's called Pacey King and Dolly and it's a, just a mixture of all our different things go 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 yeah there's come a time I want to be free of the struggle, the heartache and the strife. I, I long to be 
a peaceful soul. We did a couple of gigs before Blues Fest at ESA and it all went really well and we we're on our way out to Blues Fest. We got just close to where we were staying and then found out that it had been cancelled. That's right. And they yeah. reopened everything up as soon as Blues Fest would have finished had it gone ahead. Pretty well. It all seemed slightly unnecessary to me. But anyway, they've rescheduled for October and we're doing that one. And yeah, so that's what I've been basically doing, working on songs because we're, we're going to do an album, four songs each between the three of us because all three of us are strong songwriters or songwriters. <laughs> yeah, so that's what I've been doing mainly. I'm still doing gigs with the cigars and the trio. A few solo gigs here and there. So I've got to ask, have people been flocking back to the gigs? We really only had the first lockdown. That's all we had. Mm. We had a little scare around about January. But one of the good things that happened after the first lockdown was that there weren't really any free gigs. People had to book and pay, even in small venues. So every gig, the people that were there really wanted to be there. There wasn't this kind of chattering class of people who just rocked in and started talking. Right. So that's slowly coming back now, though. Unfortunately, I thought that was one of the good things that happened. <laughs> um, so everything's been kind of really situation normal up here. I mean, we, we were due to come down to Melbourne, as you know, mm. and uh, that got cancelled. Hopefully, we'll be able to reschedule that fairly soon, I'd say, once you guys stop, <laughs> stop no. going into lockdown all the time. Oh, I'm so sorry. i got to apologise. <laughs> Fingers crossed. And we look forward to having you down in Melbourne, although, you know, very sadly, the Caravan Club is no longer in Melbourne. I mean, they've got something down in Gippsland, which I'm sure would be a great venue for you to play, but damn it, I want something just up the road. Yeah, what a great little venue that was. Mm. That, that's where we were going to be playing. Yeah. Um, oh, well, anyway. I'm sure we'll find another great blues venue for you here in town. I'll, I'll have to look into it myself. Yeah, <laughs> please do. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about a couple of albums that you have picked for this 10th anniversary. And as I said to you, the brief is I want you to briefly talk about a couple of records that were recorded and released over the lifetime of this show and yeah. you sort of brought them to my attention yesterday morning so right here are the couple of albums that I think I'd like to talk about so I've only had a quick listen to them but please I'd love your thoughts yeah well the first one is the Jake Bug album stuck in speed bump city where the only thing that's pretty is the thought of getting out there's a tower block overhead all you got your benefits and you're barely scraping by In this trouble town, trouble style I think he's had a couple out since this one. So this came out around about 2012, I think. Yep. And uh, I first heard him because uh, his song was used as the theme for a TV show called Happy Valley, which was a very hard-hitting British crime series. Very, very raw. And his song would just fit. I, I didn't even know who it was. I thought, this guy sounds like Dylan. He's obviously English and he's obviously young and he's obviously listened to Bob Dylan's first two albums because it's got that kind of, without saying he's a clone, and he definitely isn't, but he's definitely got that kind of aggressive strumming kind of style and some of the guitar lines sound very familiar. So you can say it's a, it's a great example of somebody who's been influenced by something without actually be, becoming a clone, which God knows there are plenty of Dylan clones around. Every great songwriter of the last 40 years or something like that has been called the new Bob Dylan at some stage of their career. Yeah. I, I mean, look, it was interesting. The first song on the album, Lightning Bolt, the rhythm that he was playing, the sound made me think, oh, this guy obviously likes Billy Bragg. Morning, it's another pure grey morning Don't know what the day is holding And I get up right home and I walk right into the path of a lightning bolt 
siren of an ambulance comes howling right through the center of town and one blinks an eye and I look up to the sky for the path of a lightning bolt. And then as it yeah. goes further into the song, I thought, oh, well, you know, maybe it's not so braggish, but it certainly opened up with that harsh sort of rhythmic style. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he's, he's obviously listened to all of these people. He's probably listened to Oasis as much as anybody by the sounds of it. Some of his delivery is very Liam-like to me, you know, without actually be being to the de- detriment of the, <laughs> of the songs. Yeah, but, you know, he's only a young guy. I think when he put this out, I think he was only 20. I think I read he was 18. You're right, yeah. yeah. I didn't pick up on the fact that he was British like you did. Um, right. But I certainly picked up on the fact that, hang on, this guy sounds really, really young. And as I said, I've only sort of got a chance to listen to this album a couple of times in the last couple of days. But yeah. my impression was that, how the hell does this guy write with such maturity yeah. and what sounds like life experience at the age of 18? And yet it, it doesn't sound false. It sounds like, well, this has been his life and this is how he's approaching it. There's certain parts of Britain where you grow up fast. If you li- if you live in Twickenham or some of the posher areas, I think you you can retain your youth right up until you're about 45. <laughs> But if you grow up in Hebden Bridge and uh, these kind of satellite towns around Leeds in the north, you're going to grow up pretty quickly because you're going to be around drug bushes and you're going to be around violence and violent families and a crime. I don't think there's an ounce of kind of pretense on that album. Everything he's written about, I think he's pretty well either experienced himself or been close to. So you're saying he's lived uh, as the soundtrack to a Ken Loach film, maybe? Pretty well. That's what life's like up there. I mean, there are posh people up there as well. I mean, there are massive stately homes in the north, but he's not. I don't think he's from that background. Right. He's one of those where he says, stuck in speed bump city where the only thing that's pretty is the thought of getting out. Oh, <laughs> you know, what a lyric. But one thing I really admire about a lot of songwriters are those who seemingly through their lyrics can tell a great short story. And it sounds yeah. like the further I get to, I'm going to get to listen to this and I really am going to grab myself a copy of this album and make sure yeah. I listen to it a lot more. But just from these couple of brief listens, it sounds like he is a great storyteller. Yeah, that's right. Britain tends to... Uh, produce these guys once every few years right back to Bert Jansen, Richard Thompson and Billy Bragg I mean Billy Bragg's a great storyteller as well mm-hmm. I mean so he's, he's, he's directly out of that tradition just doing it in his own kind of way I think uh, sort of coming back to this thing where I said that it didn't strike me the first thing that he was British it sounded to me like he was putting a modern spin on recording in Sun Studios because like those first three or four songs sound like there's got so much reverb on them it just sounds like <laughs> he's he's come out of Memphis and yeah. um just fulfilling a life's dream of recording in Sam Phillips' old studio. I wouldn't be at all surprised, but I guess it's just being English. I can tell when somebody's English, just the pronunciations of some of the vowels. And I guess because he was used on this gritty crime series, like where I first heard it, I just thought they're not going to use an American singer-songwriter for this. But it sounds like a child of Britpop in lots of ways to me, without sounding anything like that at all. Once again, from these couple of brief listens, it sounds like he's taken a whole lot of things. Yeah, as you say, Britpop, so something recent as well well as maybe those first couple of Bob Dylan albums, which is more on the latter half of the album. There's this song, Simple As This. I've been in search of stones Making up the pavement of less travelled roads Mining for treasure deep in my boats That I never found Which definitely sounds like from that Bob Dylan or Donovan singer-songwriter tradition. Yeah. But then there's a song that sounds like it could have come out of like a slower moment in the Britpop movement called Broken. I'll wait here for you 
For I'm broken down I'm coming down This And if you had someone at 18 write a song like that, but as you say, it's probably the life that he's led. Well, Richard Thompson wrote Meet on the Ledge when he was 18. Oh, so, uh, my Lord, he did too. <laughs> well, you know the Jackson Brown story about these days. He wrote that when he was 16. There's either some pretense going on, something like assuming world weariness, which a good artist can probably do. I mean, I wrote lots of world weary songs when I was 14. I'm glad nobody's ever heard them. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't I tell you, there's a bootleg in my collection, Shane Pacey, the early years. Yeah, but with these days, a beautiful song as it is, it, it is kind of naive in a way. I, knew, I know he was 14 when he wrote it, or whether it, it just does sound naive in its own lovely way. You know, it's, it's poetic and it's, it's almost like Coleridge or something. Or Chatterton, more like, you know, it's like the wounded boy kind of thing. And see, Jake Buck doesn't have any of that. He's just, it's really telling like it is stuff. I'm feeling really embarrassed because I had heard the name Jake Bug, but for whatever reason, I didn't sort of think to go and search it out. And there's just so much that's thrown in our ways these days. But just having a look online, it said like he made this number in the charts in this country and that country and yeah. Australia and he's won all these awards and I'm thinking oh lord so everyone on the planet at least knows who <laughs> he is this is his, a terrific album this is his first album so I'd yeah. love to sort of see how he followed that up yeah I haven't got, gone deeper into his work yet like I said I only, I only have hear new stuff if it's used on a TV show or if, if somebody puts a Facebook paste up, post up I mean it's one of my faults I don't really go looking for new music I either get albums from people who I've been listening to for years who put new albums out mm. and they quite often disappoint me. Lots of retreading of old glory grounds there or I find things just in passing and there isn't the network really I don't think anymore for, for discovering new music without you actually, actually make the big effort and do it. And making a big effort it's not <laughs> it's not one of my strong points. Well, I sort of found like a couple of things just going on Bandcamp and yeah. like I, I might sort of buy a CD from an act that I know and then it'll come up with because you bought this may we recommend that and really you could go down that rabbit hole forevermore and it's great because you're discovering acts which might not otherwise see the light of day you know you're supporting young musicians or maybe older musicians who just never got a, a record sure, deal in the yeah. good old days of graft and corruption don't you think those things are sometimes wildly off though yeah if you like this you like this and i'd go no i don't <laughs> <laughs> it costs nothing to go into sort of say well I'll press play on this give it a listen no. and if if it's great, then I'll go and order it. And if it's not, well, then, okay, Bandcamp, you got it wrong on this occasion, but what else you got? So, uh, Do I really have to raise my arm and press that play button? Afraid so. The other thing that I have is a early 20-year-old son who, despite the fact that he spends most of his time listening to and performing death metal, but he does listen to other things and he'll often be saying to me, uh, hey, Dad, I heard this act and I think you'll like them, or I've heard this band and I think it might might be a little bit of a stretch for you, but I think it'll be rewarding. Yeah. And nine times out of ten, he's spot on. Because he's young, he's far more adventurous. But yeah, sure. I, I, yeah. every time he says, give this a try, I do give it a try. And most of the time, he's spot on. I mean, I get a little bit from my uh, guitar students occasionally. Although it's ridiculous how much old stuff the students want to learn how to play. I mean, that's the thing about young people. They, they don't really care when something was recorded. They just care whether they like it or not. I think that that's the thing for musicians. I think, yeah, to a great musician, it's going to be, well, 
what's this song like? I don't care from when it came. They won't limit themselves. That's the beauty. They won't necessarily say, right, I'm only going to limit myself to Doors era psychedelia. They're going to say, right, yeah. when are more songs like this? And they'll f- yeah. they'll know that the, yeah. the history of rock music, or for that matter, if they're, you know, they're into jazz or blues, they've got like an even wider sonic palette. Yeah, for sure. In some ways, it's a golden era as far as, far as accessibility goes. And, and certainly lots of younger people are, are taking advantage of that, I think. Definitely. I read that Jake Bug, both his parents, while not professional musicians, but they were both musicians. And I think they were even performing musicians. Yeah. Not necessarily professionally, but they did play. So to have... Uh, generation before you being able to expose you to what they do that that can't hurt so. yeah there's a whole slew of British musicians who are offspring of either reasonably well-known musicians or journeyman working musicians you know, Laura Marling's parents or well, certainly her father is a, a working musician uh, Liza Carthy of course yes I saw Liza Carthy with Norma Waterson and Martin Carthy at the Port Ferry Folk Festival must have been about I don't know 18 years ago or something yeah, like that yeah. and they were all amazing amazing together i never thought i'd get to see those people in my lifetime i thought oh they're never come nah. here and then just going to this festival in regional victoria and absolutely magnificent but yes you're right she sort of ventured out to do things that maybe her parents wouldn't have done but while absolutely. staying maybe taking something of their tradition it's like right i'm gonna take what you offer and i'm gonna do my own thing with it and i just love yeah that. she's not scared of using dance grooves or backing you know drum and bass things and she's part of that amazing Amazing Imagine Village project. I don't know if you ever heard that. No, I haven't. It's, no. Uh, it's, it's, uh, do you remember the Afro Celt sound system? Yes, yes, I do. Yep. Well, it's, it's those guys, and they they tackled British folk, and they got some a combination of all kinds of different people, uh, African drummers and chora players and folk musicians into this stew, amazing stew. So you should check that out too. That's really something else. You, you have a second album that you wish to recommend to our listeners, or something that's meant a lot to you over the last ten years. Yeah. Well. Well, it's just an album I've liked. Like I said, I haven't gone deeply into it. Just I've, I, I heard the song in passing somewhere. The Jason Isabel's first album. I know he's got a bit of a history. Is it? What's the name of his band? Drive by Truckers. Drive by right? Truckers. Yep, yep. Yeah. Yep. Is, is, is this the reason why you told me that you hadn't really? Um... Yes, I know that there's quite a few people who have tried to sell me on the notion of Drive by Truckers, and for a large period of time, their music didn't do that much for me. I got to confess, and definitely hugely talented as instrumentalists but just the songs were not really speaking to me I think there was one album called American Band which my friend Derek went and recommended that I listen to but this is post the Isbell era and that one I thought was actually really really good but I've still not felt tempted to go back to the start so possibly I know that everyone in the Roots music community or Americana community I guess here has been raving about Jason Isbell and I thought yeah 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 okay one day one day and here you come saying, right, I'm going to talk about Jason Isbell <laughs> and his album Southeastern on the show. So they're like, okay, I've got to give this a listen. And my God, look, please talk about your favourites from the album and why it attracted you first. I think I just heard Elephant. She said, and you're taking me home. But I knew she planned to sleep alone. I'd carry her to bed, sweep up the hair from her floor. If I'd fucked her before she got sick, I'd never hear the end of it. She don't have the spirit for that now. 
which is a devastating song. And I can't remember where I heard it. I either heard it on the radio. I can't imagine the ABC playing it. It's quite raw. So I can't remember where I heard it. And I just thought a, a good friend of mine on um, Facebook and, and Twitter, Deb Spillane, I don't know if you remember her. She was a sports reporter about, with for the ABC. Mm. Deb Spillane, she was raving about him all the time. And, I, and Deb's got pretty good musical taste. So I thought, I really got to check this guy out. Like you, the drive-by trackers, I'd heard. I'd seen them on Lady with, with Jules Holland. And I thought, well, they're kind of a fairly bog standard Southern country rock band. I thought I, I didn't really think that much of them. I thought they were a bit weak in the song department. So I got hold of this album, Southeastern, and I don't think there's a, a weak moment on it. It obviously feels a bit kind of freed up from being in the band. So some of the songs are just acoustic guitar. All the backing is fairly sparse, really. It's beautifully produced, obviously, and he's a great guitar player as well. With these kind of strong singer-songwriters, people tend to forget if they can play guitar, it's kind of like just put on the back burner, which it kind of is on this album. It's a bit of wild guitar playing, but it's all about the songs. Now, I think it's because those people tend to want to be known as songwriters. So uh, if you want to be known as a guitar hero, you've got to go down a certain road, you know, which is to make the guitar the front and centre of everything. Like, so you can be a Joe Bonamassa or somebody like that where he's not known for his songs, <laughs> I don't think, or, you know, but he's known for being a flashy guitar player and you make that choice. I'm sure that people like Jason Isbell have a big mantra, a big poster on their wall saying, serve the song. That's something we're yeah. always talking about on this podcast. And I'm sure you and I have spoken about that on all the episodes that you've been on the show with me. Serve the song. The song is king. Yeah, song is everything. It's always been my mantra. I mean, I consider myself a songwriter first and foremost, then a singer, then a guitarist, even though I can rip off a wild guitar solo with, with the best of them, I guess, but it's not the reason I exist. There are certain albums, I think we've talked about this before, where it almost sounds like one song, you know, like uh, Astral Weeks is like that, certain Johnny Mitchell albums, certain Nick Drake albums. It all just flows along. There are certain lyrics that, I mean, I'm not going to quote any lyrics here, but elephants certainly that's quite devastating so i don't think that subject matter has ever been written about in a song before well just for the listeners who haven't heard this this song is musically it's a a piano piece with a little bit of acoustic guitar and yeah. lyrically it's a song about a person who's talking to a friend who's dying and he's saying what do i say to you but the friend who's dying is being fairly jovial and yeah. they're both ignoring the elephant in the room hence the name of the song elephant I wanted to pick like a, a couple of songs from yeah. my one listen to the album that I thought really hit me in the face. And boy, Elephant is a great song by any measure. And it is, as you say, devastating. But it's also musically great because it's one thing to write a short story and be devastated, but it wouldn't necessarily make a great song. But this is a fantastic song. Um, yeah. And this is a dark album in the most part. Yeah, yeah. Although it's got like Travelling Alone. I know every town we're passing through What good does no one do No one to show it to And I've grown tired of traveling alone Tired of traveling alone I've grown tired of traveling alone Won't you ride with me it seems to me is in, in some kind of flux between either a relationship ending or a band ending and something new starting. I mean, a lot of it's sort of on the road, isn't it? Like <laughs> the Super 8 hotel, you don't, don't want to die in a Super 8 hotel. And, you know, a lot of it's uh, traveling alone. Mm. It, it, there's a lot of moving around on it as well. And not that it's, I don't think it's a concept album by any means, but it just has a, a certain vibe about something's about to change. Look, I read something that he dug himself into this album after coming off, I can't remember, his alcoholism or... Yeah. 
substance abuse. The review that I read said that it was not so much, it's not like, say, a Marian Faithful broken English type of deal where every song is bitter and twisted and I'm in this dark place and I'm taking you for this ride of me. But it's him almost saying, right, well, I'm breaking free of all this. But yet there is a lot of dark subject matter. But when you go to the beginning of the album, the other song that really struck me because it's one of the most beautiful lyrically love songs I've ever heard, well, at least of late, and it's musically bouncy. It's a great piece of country pop. It's called Stockholm. And it reminded me a bit, I'm not sure if it's Justin Townsville or Steve L. Certainly some of the darker songs on the album remind me of Steve L. But yeah, yeah, this would probably be more in the Justin Townsville vein. But just, oh, such a good album. Because that that song is so early on in the album, I thought, oh, okay, I'm in for a really bouncy, happy-go-lucky sort of recording experience. And then he said, not so fast, my friend. That's the song that you listen to at first in the record shop that convinces you to buy it. Once you take it home, I'm going (laughs) to fuck with your head. So yeah. There's a couple of lighter songs. It's the one at the end, I think, is relatively easy. You know, it's that's quite a light kind of song, really. Are you having a long day? Everyone you meet rubs you the wrong way. Dirty city streets smell like an ashtray. Morning bells are ringing in your ear. Well, he doesn't want you slashing your wrists. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but the thing about him is, yeah, I kind of got the, well, I, I was thinking more about Towns Van Zandt in a way, but, um, okay. uh, which is very similar territory, I suppose, but he also he kind of straddles that border between that and somebody like Jackson Brown because he's so easy to listen to. It's not, you know, like sometimes Towns, you wouldn't say he was a, he made beautiful music, he, he made great music, but it's not exactly pretty. A lot of this is pretty, like you said. It, he does, he's not frightened of actually being attractive with the, <laughs> with the music. All the guitars are beautifully recorded, and his, his singing is, without being showboaty kind of singer, it's pretty good singing. It is. And they're melodically very memorable, at least I'm yeah. pretty sure after another couple of listenings, those tunes will be stuck in my head. But they're melodically inventive, I guess is what I'm trying yeah. to say. These are not by-the-numbers, lyrics first, music as an afterthought sort of thing. These are written to be great songs. I think he's only done about three solo albums. I think one of the hardest tricks to pull is to be musically inventive with such a limited palette. Because he's only using the same three or four chords that everybody uses, you know, like in this kind of genre you know it's the one four five with a few minors thrown in mm. um that, that's it so to take that and to create something it's actually quite original in its own way and new i think it's a bit of a trick not a trick if it's a trick it's a good trick you know <laughs> <You're right. laughs> yeah so yeah i'd definitely be going deeper with both of these guys i think like i say i, I don't go out looking for these things and often the things i like are things that remind me of older things because you know i can't be doing with drill music or you know, I, can't re- <laughs> I can't really get my head around 
around it. Uh, so it's got to have some kind of tie to what I'm familiar with. I make no apologies for that. I'm, I'm 63 years old. You know, I'm sure there's very innovative music out there, but it's probably not meant for me. You're enjoying what you're enjoying. And the fact is, you are still searching out new songwriters in territory that you like. And yeah. uh, that's still support for newer generations of musicians and songwriters. And that's still plenty to be commended. It's not like you're playing lawyers in love you know, every day, you know, since no. from from all those years ago. You know, you say, well, okay, I like this. Who else is like this? You just mentioned my least favorite Jackson Brown song. Oh, well, okay. Well, <laughs> well no, running was, on running on empty, whatever. Yeah, no, um, that, was, uh, that was very well, well chosen. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So you won't be searching out more songwriters who use lawyers in love as their template. Okay. Okay. I got it. All right. So look, two fantastic recommendations there, Shane. And no. I, I hope that the listeners out there sort of go and follow up on this or maybe want to post something in the Facebook group to talk about their own thoughts about either or both of these albums because I'm grateful that you finally got me to listen to both of them. They're just absolutely both killer albums. So, oh, fantastic. Um, I'm glad you like them. Absolutely love them. And look, you're not the first person who I've recorded with for this 10th anniversary episode, but everyone's just come up with some cracking albums. Once again, many thanks to you, Shane, and uh, we're going to get you on for a more lengthy album dissection or discussion or whichever way we choose to go for it because, you know, six shows in the space of two years and, you know, look, it's all my fault because I'm just doing old uh, one show a month. I'm a slack yeah. bastard. I was speaking to someone else earlier on today who had their 10th anniversary of their podcast this year and they've done something like seven or 800 shows and what have I got to show for it? 150. I mean, that's just... But you might have a life, Morris. Uh, well, that's true. I hadn't <laughs> thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but we have, we have discussed albums that we might talk about. I, I do know we've discussed at least one uh, a Joni Mitchell album, which you said you, have, you haven't done a Joni album. I have not. All right. Okay. So before 2021 is out, we are doing Hegira. No questions about it. I love Hegira. It was my entry point into her canon. I mean, I, I love a lot of her stuff, but that is the album I play the most. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about on that record. Excellent. All right. You heard it first here, folks. That's coming out <laughs> before the end of 2021. My promise. All right. So Lovely. there you go. All right. Anyway, we'll be back in a moment to hear whoever I've next got lined up. You're listening to Love That Album 10th Anniversary Edition. Thanks, Shane. Thank you, Morris. the 10th anniversary of Love That Album. For my next guest, I really wanted to write a haiku to introduce him. <laughs> and I'm just so not good with poetry, unlike he is. So I will just say, you may call him Raymond Good. You may call him Bartholomew's Ray. I'm going to call him the adjudicator. No, I'm going to call him Brian Nankervis. Welcome to the show, Brian. Beautiful, Morris. There's, the, there's a lot to love about that. You know, we could get together and talk rhythm. Uh, I thought there was going to be a rhyme. Uh, was there a rhyme? No, I don't think there was. Your delivery suggested that a, a rhyme might be coming, which is always a nice technique to withhold what is promised. <laughs> 
to withhold what is expected? Well, next time I have you on the show, I will endeavour to have given myself more time to come up with a haiku or indeed something rhyming, something that is befitting of your own poetic skills. <laughs> well, I, yes, that all that, the shuddering, the hysterical uh, voice, the twisted, tortured Rhythms. The weird thing is we're on Zoom, listeners, just so you know, but I don't think you can see me. But, of course, when you're not fully in control of your computer, things pop up and there's an email. Hello, Brian. I've been given your details by a friend and would like to inquire about you doing a poem for my husband, Michael's 60th. Hope this is still possible. And if so, what do I need to send you and how much will it cost? <laughs> oh, my Lord. There you go. Look, Raymond Jay is probably never that far from the surface. And I tend to carry a beret sometimes. And um, in fact, this show, I was just, Morris and I were talking, dear listeners, about a show I just did for the Adelaide Cabaret Festival with Vince Jones. And I quoted a couple of lines of verse, one from Gil Scott Heron, because it was a night of protest songs and we did Winter in America. I was narrating and telling stories about the songs and I mentioned the revolution will not be televised. And I mentioned his other pretty famous, I suppose, a poem called Whitey on the Moon, you know, about how the fact that they're spending millions, billions on the NASA space race, but not looking after what's happening back at home. So I quoted a poem and it was really great to launch into a poem with rhythm and a little bit of rhyme on stage in Adelaide. But anyway, I'm going off on uh, tangents. So I sent you a note and said, okay, Brian, 10th anniversary show. What I want to do is get yourself and my other guests on this Really, it's a star-studded cast. I'm so wrapped that I've got so many wonderful people to yeah. join me for this. But the what I briefed you with was I wanted you to come up with a couple of albums that had really won your heart over the lifespan of this podcast. So the last 10 years, and you have come up with three records that you'd like to talk about and recommend to the listeners. I came up with three, Morris, but it could have been 33. It was actually a great process because it sent me scurrying to my phone and my record collection and my CD collection. Yeah, I sort of ended up breaking it down. Something from last year, the Bob Dylan album, Rough and Rowdy Ways. It was a dark day in Dallas, November 63. A day that would live on in infamy. President Kennedy was a right line Good day to be living and a good day to die He led to the slaughter like a sacrificial lamb He said, wait a minute, boys, you know who I am a little bit predictable for me, so I thought I'll just make that a medal getter, a bronze medal, or maybe silver, but that doesn't matter. When you say a little bit predictable in the sense of where he's gone with over the last 20 years or something like that, or so modern times onward? No, I meant predictable for me. You know, I'm a huge Bob Dylan fan, and I think I'm gaining a slight reputation doing a show on the ABC every Friday with 
Jacinda Parsons, the Friday Review, I will always, not always, but I'm struck by how often Bob Dylan's name crops up in my conversation and listeners, I think, are starting to detect a bias and some of those listeners are very happy to text in and say, oh, enough with the Dylan, you know, they, they trot out they trot out all the familiar cliches, you know, he's an old white man, he can't sing, mostly he can't sing, people can't seem to get over that, you know, a lot of that stuff. Oh, I like his songs, but as long as he's not singing them. So I sort of think, oh, maybe, yeah, people go, Brian Hill choose Bob Dylan. Having said that, I couldn't not mention it because that album that he released last year, a double album, out of the blue, out of nowhere, around this time, I think it was June last year, and we were stuck and the world was stuck, and it was like Bob said, all right, I'll liven things up. I'll give you something that'll take your mind off COVID, and I won't just give you a four-minute song. I'll give you a 17-minute ballad performance piece called Murder Most Foul, which ties in the assassination of Kennedy and then ends up being what felt like sometimes a, a sort of playlist of songs, Edda James, um, who else? Oh, strange people. The Eagles got a mention. Um, I'm sure Billie Holiday did. Oh, Dickie Betts, Blue Sky got a mention. The Stones, The Beatles. I just thought that was phenomenal. And then a couple of weeks later, of course, out comes the whole album, Rough and Rowdy Ways. And it would have to be one of the albums I've most played as a Dylan fan, but just as a music fan, it was incredible. I think a lot of Dylan fans seem to be saying, oh, wow, it's his best since this. It's his best since it'll be in the pantheon of great Dylan albums 10 years from now, once we've had a bit yeah. of time and distance from it. It was an album I certainly wasn't expecting. The last Dylan album that I really loved was Love and Theft back in yeah. 2001. I heard Modern Times and I just thought, no, this is leaving me a little bit cold and right. sort of got off the train and then Murder Most Foul comes out and I think, oh, okay, he's back to some form of storytelling. And I mean, I guess he probably was in the interim, but when he's not producing Frank Sinatra tribute album, but I love the old timey feel of it. And he opens up the album with I Contain Multitudes and False Prophet. Is that him saying, listen, don't try to interpret. You spent your whole life trying to interpret what I am, who I am. This is really who I am. Or is once again, is he just telling us a story and playing with us? Today and tomorrow, and yesterday too, the flowers are dying like all things do. Follow me close, I'm going to Bali and Ali. I'll lose my mind if you don't come with me. I fuss with my hair. And I fight blood feuds. It's hard to know, and Dylan fans all over the world have been trying to work that out for years and years and years. I think because Dylan is so inscrutable and because he refuses to offer explanations of his songs, that makes us perhaps even more desperate to try and work it out. 
Lokier, false prophet, he's always said seemingly he can't bear that business of being called the spokesperson for a generation. And in fact, for a while there on the live shows, there was a some guy, a journalist, had written like a People magazine or a some sort of pretty middle ground magazine. A guy wrote this paragraph about how Dylan was the spokesperson for a generation. He disappeared into a haze of drugs and then he came back. He had a motorbike, like very cliched. Well, Dylan got someone to record it and used it as his opening voiceover before the shows. Now, it's like he twists and he turns and he's playful and he's cheeky. And he say, just when you think he's this thing, he'll say, no, I'm this thing. There was a great interview where he was asked, you're a protest singer. And, of course, he he marked around with that. No, I'm just a song and dance man. He said, but, but protest singers, how many protest singers are there? And Dylan says, oh, I think there's 140. <laughs> I think I've heard that, yeah. How many people who labour in the same musical vineyard in which you toil, how many are protest singers, that is, people who use their music and use the songs to protest the uh, social state in which we live today, the matter of war, the matter of crime, or whatever it might be? Uh, how many? Yes. Are there many? Who yeah, well, I, I think there's about uh, 136. You say about 136? Mm. Or do you mean exactly 136? Uh, Either 136, 142. Yeah, he's just, I mean, I love that. And the film, the Scorsese doco Rolling Thunder, which covers that 76, maybe 77 tour, Rolling Thunder, it's great because there's all these red herrings. There's a, a guy in there who purports to be the filmmaker who's an actor. It's all fabricated. Sharon Stone tells about how she was taken to a concert by her mum and Dylan saw her and they got her in backstage and he offered her a job as the ironing mistress. It's all complete fabrication. She was 10 years old. She plays it. So I think in terms of I Contain Multitudes, I think that's pretty much him saying I can do so much. All of us are probably. We're capable of this. We're capable of that. I can write protest songs. I can write personal songs. I can offer you this. I can offer you that. And and it's a, obviously a very strong allusion or a, or a nod to Walt Whitman, who wrote that line, I contain multitudes. He's taking source material and he's grabbing lyrics. What does it say? A, a good poet borrows, a, a great poet steals. Mm. Oh, he's always done that. And then False Prophet, Don't Look at Me. But I but I think the album, just to sort of sum that up, because it, it wasn't the one I finally settled on as my favourite. I think it's an incredible album. There's a couple there that don't really do it for me. Black Rider um, is one that I'm not mad on, but I've made up my mind to give myself to you, the one about Jimmy Reed, Goodbye Jimmy Reed, the two big ones, I Contain Multitudes and Murder Most Foul. But the key song for me, I think, is Key West. McKinley Holler, McKinley Small, Dr. Sibakuli, death is on the wall. Say it to me, have you got something to confess? 
I heard all about him He was going down slow which is a nine minute feels like a classic final song you know dylan's always done those great final songs there was ain't talking and there was um desolation row desolation row on highway 61 highlands on time out of mind i reckon time out of mind is probably still my favorite of the sort of you know you look at it as a late period but it was recorded in 1997 so Hammond, that's 20... Nearly 25 years, yeah. It's remarkable. It's remarkable. So I've, I got a lot of pleasure out of rough and rowdy ways, and I will continue to go back to it. I played Key West the other day four times in a row. Wow. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And there's, there's interesting stuff on there. There's doo-wop vocals on I Made Up My Mind. There's a sort of steel drums on something. There's Dylan's sort of classic... Roadhouse Blues on the Jimmy Reed one and Cross the Rubicon. Yeah, it's beautiful. For me, the best song, I mean, apart from Murder Most Foul, which sounds like a, a dreamscape that belongs in a David Lynch film, but yeah, my own version of you. All through the summers into January, I've been visiting morgues and monasteries, looking for the necessary body parts. Limbs and livers and brains and hearts I'll bring someone to life Is what I want to do I want to create my own version of you I love those descending chord structures that have a little bit of melancholy, but he's having fun there singing about, I'm going to build my ideal you like a Frankenstein monster. And it's, yeah, it's just a lot of fun. It's funny. I mean, that's the thing. You know, Dylan, I've, that was probably, I mean, we've got to be careful we don't go too far on Dylan. That was one of the things that I reckon first attracted me because I was, say, 15 or 16 and I fell for Dylan and I fell for the obvious songs, you know, like A Rolling Stone, which had come out a few years earlier. The protest songs, obviously, Blown in the Wind, Times They Are Changing. But the things that really hooked me were the witty, playful lyrics, you know, Highway 61, God said to Abraham, kill me a son. Abe said, man, you must be putting me on. God said, no, Abe said, what? Where do you want this killing? Just great wordplay. And some of those early ones, you know, I wish I was on some Australian mountain range. Bob Dylan's 115th Dream, where he, he, he suddenly it's Captain Ahab and they're chasing the whale and funny, witty, clever stuff. And as a 15, 16-year-old, I loved that. And I had this friend and we'd write out the lyrics in the back of our French book and then we'd try and make up our own songs about teachers but in a Dylan style which was sort of a beat like a Ginsberg it was just great he's a ripper and yeah the, uh, my own version of you is pretty funny really
Well, what else have you got for us? Well, the other one, oh, okay, the other, probably number two is a record by Texan singer-songwriter called Terry Allen. But before we get to that, when you said what's the album that has had the most effect or is your favourite in the last 10 years, there are have been a few albums that I soak in. I play them constantly and I discover new songs. And so, okay, the first song is the opening song is incredible and I, I play that over and over. And then I go to track number two and I think, wow, that's great too. There was an album by an Australian man called Dan Tuffy Now, Dan Tuffy was in a band called Wild Pumpkins at Midnight. Oh, yes, I remember them. I think I saw them at the club in Collingwood. Yeah, you would have. They were a sort of part of that Collingwood, Carlton, Fitzroy, a bit folky. They were maybe a touch of a red gum or a touch of weddings, parties, anything. I sort of tend to think a little bit violent femmes. Yeah, yeah, lots of acoustic guitars, but a bit punk. Anyway, they were a bit probably left of Sandar, but did a lot of work in Melbourne at benefits and and theatre shows, and they're great, really great. And I think I did some gigs with them. Anyway, Dan Tuffy, the band split up, or maybe they went to Europe, but he went to Holland and he stayed there. And he remained in Holland and kept making music. We got in touch maybe through a radio, through Triple R. Anyway, he would keep sending me new stuff. And we had a couple of mutual friends. Oh, you know Dan Tuffy? Yeah, yeah, I'm a good friend of Dan. And he's just a great character and a great storyteller and fascinating that someone would leave Melbourne and end up, he married a Dutch girl, I think. Anyway, he put out an album maybe five years ago now that was produced and the playing was assisted by Matt Walker and anything Matt Walker does I'm interested in. Lucy Thorne, the great Lucy Thorne, played guitar on it and it's just this, it's very lo-fi, it's called Songs From Dan. From Ash Trees on the Floor Just to crawl back home to my faithful wife And just to crawl back out the door It's atmospheric, to use the Dylan comparison. There's echoes of the sort of Daniel Lanois production on Oh Mercy. There's a, the man in the long black coat. It's, it's a bit rough. It's lots of acoustic guitars that are amplified and a bit distorted. Dan's got a very distinctive vocal, but he just tells these incredible stories and very honest. There's one song called The Biggest Bastard Who Ever Lived. I think it's autobiographical about how he's a performer who thrives on slash needs positive reinforcement. He says, I go out and I play shows and the audience adores me and, well, I want you to adore me like they are. And, of course, you know, probably the partner's saying, well, that's all very well. You've played a show in front of 100, 500 people and they've loved you, but maybe you could cook a meal once or, once or twice. Or you know, how about doing some housework? Or you haven't spoken to the kids. You know, it's just this great piece about being a, a musician who just escapes onto the road. I'm only happy when I'm on stage, I think is one of the lines. There's beautiful love songs. 
I would really recommend people hunt it down. I think it's available on your favourite streaming device. It is a really incredible, unusual album that will bring you hours and hours of entertainment. I'm speaking slowly because I am trying to find it on the streaming device. Yes, Songs from Dan came out in 2016. You know, a couple of guitars, maybe amplified, maybe acoustic. Shake It Loose is a beautiful love song. Don't go crying on my shoulder. Stay true. Stay true when I'm gone. It's as plain as day. I can't stay here no more. I'll be telling whoever it is I'm with. I can't love her no more. Which is about, it's addressed to a past lover, and he talks about when the new guy comes around, don't turn my pictures around. I want him to see that picture of you and me, you know, that might have been taken 20 years ago that's on the the dresser. I want him to walk past that. It's incredible. So I loved it. He sent it to me, sent me the album, and I thought, oh, yeah, this, you know, whatever he does is interesting. I fell for it completely. And then he came out to Australia and did some shows with Matt and Lucy Thorne and Shane Riley on Pedal Steel and maybe Roger Bergadoz on Drum. And we had him on the radio and I just said, come on, you got to do a gig. And he did a gig at the Spotted Mallard and I compared and it was just, it was such a thrill. And, you know, you could see there were lots of interesting people in the audience who'd heard and people were just, yeah, it was totally, it's it's unusual. It's great. about your silver pick. Silver pick, because, yes, we're saying bronze is Bob Dylan, and that seems bizarre that I would ever put Bob in third place. But really, it's not third place. But silver is Terry Allen, and it's an album that came out 2018. Terry Allen, for those who have just come in from the cold, is a Texan singer-songwriter. You could probably put him with Guy Clark, with Towns Van Zandt. He released an album in maybe the 80s, should have done my homework, called Lubbock on Everything. Lubbock is, of course, a little town in Texas where Buddy Holly was born. Also, I think where the Flatlanders, Joe Eli, Jimmy Dale Gilmore and Butch Hancock are from, the Flatlanders incredible group. But Terry Allen is this really interesting character. So he doesn't have the profile of Towns Van Zandt, Guy Clark. You could probably throw Rodney Crowell in there. You could probably throw Steve Earle in there. But they all loved him. Interesting character. He's an artist, a visual artist. He's a sculptor. He's a painter. So he sort of divides his time between art and music. So he's maybe he's made eight 
albums, I suppose. Lubbock on Everything was the first, but people adore him. He, what else can I tell you about him? Guy Clark requested that his ashes, some of his ashes, be turned into a sculpture by Terry Allen. Terry Allen recorded an incredible song. There's an album that came out, a tribute to Guy Clark, called A Picture of You, and it's a double album. I think Guy was still alive, in fact. Jerry Jeff Walker, Lyle Lovett, Emmylou Harris, John Prine, Rodney Crowell, Steve Earle, a predictable lineup of incredible talents. But Terry Allen did a version of one of Guy's songs called Old Friends. And again, I would love to point people towards that. Anyway, he's steadily gone on. He's been married to the same woman for 40 or 50 years. If you read between the lines, they've had an interesting relationship. She sings on all his records. She plays on all his records. She's an artist as well. They move around, probably divide their time between California and Texas. He put out an album maybe six or eight years ago called Bottom of the World, and I would suggest the title song you must listen to. But in 2018, he put out a double album, which is the one that I became infatuated with, called Just Like Moby Dick. When the circus comes to town In the city of the vampires There's nary a soul to be found When the sun glints off the church spire the citizens have all gone to their basements. It's produced, I think, by the great Charlie Sexton. Mm. So, you know, Charlie Sexton, of course, who plays guitar with Dylan and has for many, many years and sort of a, had, a, had a record when he was really young. He adores Terry Allen. Yeah, produced by Charlie Sexton and Terry Allen. Who else plays on it? Uh, Lloyd Maines, who's a slide guitar Dobro player that is adored over there. His kids play on it, Balo Allen, Booker Allen, Crew Allen. And it's just this wonderful, wonderful record. There's lots of love songs with titles like All That's Left Is Fare Thee Well, No More One Last Time, No More Second Chances, We've Worn Out All The Lines, No More Country Dances, No Stories Left To Sell, No Lies Left To Tell, All That's Left Is Fare Thee Well. Well, that's probably a breaking up song. What else? Uh, all the blues go walking by. But then there's wacky songs about the vampires. There's one about vampires. There's one that was actually my sort of entry point for the record. It's called Houdini Didn't Like the Spiritualists. Yeah, they listen for his mother from the other side of the grave. The more that he listened, the less that she had to say. He was broken hearted when she had departed for the other side. He visited mystics to find her, but the voices they channeled were just artistic lines. And it's based on what I think is a true story, that Houdini, the famous escape artist slash magician, 
became obsessed. His mother died when he was youngish and he was terribly, terribly depressed and upset. He wanted to believe that he would be reunited with his mother. So, in a, you know, classic what happens after we die. But he couldn't accept that that was it. He thought there must be, she must be, give me a sign that there is more. And so he explored all these theories of the afterlife and he came to the conclusion fairly quickly that there's nothing, that when you die, you die. And so he went on this tour. This is Houdini, not Terry Allen. He went on this tour of doing magic, but also exposing the charlatans, exposing those who would say that, yes, there's an afterlife, and yes, I can be in touch with the dead, and yes, seances work. So this was Houdini's big thing to expose them. He didn't like the spiritualists. I'll quote you a couple of lyrics from the song. Houdini didn't like the spiritualists. He couldn't believe there's any truth to this, that a loved one might return and speak to you, even though he wanted it to be true. So while he's touring the world, smashing the myths and exposing what he called charlatans, one part of him kept believing. And so he and his wife made a pact. Whoever dies first, the other one is to go to the grave on a certain date, they picked a date, and listen and wait for a sign. Houdini died first. His wife went to his gravestone, graveyard, place of burial, every year for the rest of her life. Mm. And she, she would press her ear to the earth and nothing. And, in fact, I think that was in the 40s or the 30s or something. Now followers of Houdini go to his grave every year on that date and they wait for a sign and they celebrate the man. Okay, that's a long, long rave, and I'm sorry for the It's a fascinating story. That's what I love these conversations for. You you can only go so far saying, gee, the guitar work was great. Gee, that was a nice turn of phrase in the lyric. I love these stories. I was going to actually say the story of Houdini, as you described it there, sounds like a precursor to James Randi, who came many years later, who would be going out and exposing the charlatans. In this country, we tend to remember James Randi more for... Don Lane telling him to piss off. That's right. But, That's um, right. But that, yeah, he spent a whole lifetime as a magician exposing people in a similar way to how you described Harry Houdini did. Yeah. So Terry Allen has got this little nugget of truth, which I think it's it's based on truth. He's probably tweaked it and massaged it to turn it into a song. But it's so beautiful. When I first fell for this album, you know, I, I'm that sort of person that everyone has to hear it, and I send them links and I go, wait, you've never heard of Terry Allen? Oh my God. Okay. Play this song. And I would play it at various gatherings, mostly blokes, I think. (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah. No surprises there. But but no, I played it on the ABC and Jacinta, my co-host, she loved it. And we got a pretty good response to it, but I played it one night to my 18 year old son. We were swapping music and he loves sort of you know, the mall rats and skigs and floodlights, a local Melbourne band. He likes rock and stuff. He, not so much rap. He's got pals who are into sort of hip hop and, and that stuff, but he likes guitar, loud guitars. 
So, he, you know, he loves the stones. He loves dead flowers. He loves this great band called The Nude Party. So we do things. During lockdown, we played table tennis two times, three times a day and endless games. We played, I think, 180 games and he won 90 of them. So do the maths. I came out just ahead. But we would always set up the ghetto blah or the the little Bose speaker. He'd pick three songs. I'd pick three songs. And one of them was Houdini didn't like the spiritualist. And I said, okay, we've got to stop. You've got to listen to these lyrics. And I'm telling him about how I grew up in the church and I was told that there would be an afterlife. And my parents always said, when you die, you know, mum said, I, I will be re- reunited with my father. And all the time I'm thinking, ah, I don't know, I'm, I'm not so sure. And my son, who we don't have any sort of formal religious, certainly teaching, and we don't go to church and he doesn't, you can just see him sitting there staring at me like, wow, dad, this is pretty heavy. As I told the story to him as, as what I told to you, and then we played the song and he loved it to a degree. I think he was slightly shocked at the uh, fervour of his father, but he's seen that before, so <laughs> not a bad thing. Uh, but, look, the whole album is great. It's called Just Like Moby Dick. His singing, it's pretty, in a way, it's not unlike the Dan Tuffy. You know, you'd never say he's got a classically beautiful voice. It's And the, the, the playing is, is a lot of him on key boards quite rudimentary in a way although Charlie Sexton his guitar playing is incredible and it feels like one of the more produced of the Terry Allen albums yeah I sank into it and the packaging is so beautiful it's got all this incredible artwork it's a three-sided album the fourth side has just got artwork on it and so when you play it on your turntable it shimmers glows and it's a piece of terry allen art morris question number one name the other three-sided double album big will by joe jackson whoa you are a champion that wasn't the one i was thinking of but okay i'm a joe jackson fanatic i remember seeing him on my birthday in 1986 in promotion of that record and he came out dressed in a trench coat with a little suitcase, a little valise and a hat, like as if he was an explorer or a tourist of the world. It's sort of a thematic album. I guess you could say it's a concept album, songs loosely based around his traveling around the world and seeing this place in in Asia and being an ugly American tourist in Europe. A terrific album. But the the fourth side, there's nothing there. So yeah, that's the the three-sided album I was thinking of. So I have to come back to you and say, what were you thinking of? I was thinking of one by Johnny Winter. Ah, okay. Um, I think it might be called Second Winter. I know it's got an incredible version of Jumping Jack Flash that he became reasonably well-known for. It's also got a great version of Highway 61 revisited. So this is Johnny Winter, of course, and we're talking Texans, the great albino Texan guitarist. It was one of those albums that, you know, all my pals, mostly blokes, who'd sit around and talk about music for hours and hours and the girls just got so bored. <laughs> just like Moby Dick. Oh, say no, 
Let's go to your final pick. Final, yep. And after a lot of deliberation, after a lot of toing and froing, and there's a whole lot of other albums that we we haven't even begun to get to, but we won't now because my number one album, it's a double album. Maybe that's what tipped it over the edge. It came out, I reckon I made a couple of notes here. Did I do the release date? No, it's probably six or eight years old. It's Lucinda Williams, Down Where the Spirit Meets the Bone. Two little boys are found in the river on a sweltering summer night. Not one soul that I figured it out who created that terrible sight. Somebody gone away with murder and a horrible and it is just remarkable. I'm getting a date. The 2014. Thank you, Morris. I knew I could rely on you. She's always made great records. I don't think she's ever really made a record that there hasn't been something great on. I fell for her hard. I reckon when I first moved to Elwood, so no, no, end of my Q days. So I reckon, what's that? That's late 80s. Her first sort of hit record, she'd done a couple of blues albums earlier, but she had that first album with Passionate Kisses, I Just Want to See You So Bad, Change the Locks, incredible record produced by Gerf Morlicks. And that was a big record for me and for my wife and for our people we lived with. So, yeah, probably 89 maybe. Anyway, I saw her at the Prince of Wales in 92 and it was the last night of of her tour and I remember she was in great form and she had cameras and she gave people, what do they call them, you know, those disposable cameras. Oh, yeah. And she, she got the audience to take shots. She just was in a great mood and she just released maybe the third album what was that one sweet old world oh, she, she's incredible anyway i saw her a couple of times i saw her once at hamer hall and found it maybe not quite as exciting i remember she had a big lyric book on stage with her and at the end of every song she would go forward and find the song that she was about to do. And I remember finding that slightly off-putting and distracting, and I think I got a bit of a bee in my bonnet, really. Come on, Brian. She can do what she wants. She's written these (laughs) incredible songs. Okay, she can't remember. She can't remember them all. She lived a pretty tough life. I think she gave it a nudge, as the uh, colloquial term says. I think she lived a a torrid, colourful life, but she never stopped making interesting records. West was amazing, that double live album. But the Down Where the Spirit Meets the Bone was the first album in a few years that I fell completely and utterly, of hers, I fell completely and utterly in love with. And it was one of those albums where, yes, you you discover one song and it just hits you and you listen to that over and over. And then suddenly there's another one and you think, oh, my God, there's another song 
that is just as powerful. It's got lots of guitars. It's a really, it's a rockin' album. There's incredible guitar players, Bill Frizzell. My hero. Oh, is he? You yes, love he Bill is. Frizzell. I adore Bill Frizzell. Adore him. When I started doing Triple R, like those summer shifts that they'd grant me, I got to interview Marshall Crenshaw and Bill oh. Frizzell, and that was just like heaven for me. And I've sort of gone and cheated with a couple of Love That Album episodes where I dug up those old Triple R interviews. I put Bill Frizzell on the Love That Album feed, but just a nicer, more humble man yeah. you couldn't hope to meet and an incredible guitar stylist. You hear a few notes of that vibrato thing and you know straight away that's Bill Frizzell and he's a country player and a jazz player and a lover of music and just, I know sorry, I'm digressing here, but if you, oh, can look, if you can look up on YouTube, there's a film clip or someone's taken on their phone, a video of him playing with his band outside of an apartment block. Maybe it's where he lives in Brooklyn or somewhere like that, doing what the world needs now. And Brian, the hairs on the back of your yes. neck will stand up. It is magnificent. I got to see him a few years ago in a small jazz club here oh. in Melbourne. On stage, walked for one song, Petra Hayden. She was on tour with him, but not for that night. And so he said, I think Petra, I think you're in the audience. Um, come up and do a song with us. And she was so humble and just sort of walked on stage and, oh, really, this is your gift. And they, she sang When You Wish Upon a Star with Bill and his band, and really, it was a perfect gig. Bill Frisell is a huge hero to me. And anyone who, out there who hasn't listened, pick any album. It, it doesn't matter. Lovely guy, beautiful music. And yeah, I could rabbit on for ages, but this is great. Sorry. No, I'm- no, good rave. Good rave. Well, Brian Wise from Off the Record, Triple R, Saturday morning. He's been with me every Saturday morning for 30 or so years. He adores Bill Frisell. I haven't gone that deep, but whenever I I hear him and he's playing on this album this Lucinda Williams album is superb and you know as you say he can play in a variety of styles on here it's like Lucinda said all right Bill you know love your jazz stuff but let's rock and it's incredible there's a great version of the JJ Cale song Magnolia which goes for about nine minutes, which will satisfy your Frizzell needs. Tony Joe White plays on the record. He plays harmonica and guitar, I think, on West Memphis. It opens with a poem. Lucinda's father was a poet called Miller Williams and a a very decorated and loved poet in America, Um, I think performed at mm, someone's inauguration, maybe Clinton, but would always read Lucinda's lyrics. She always said before I'd go into the studio, I'd get my father to read my lyrics and he would mostly say, fabulous, Lou, maybe you could change this word. And, And I think he brought 
a love of literature and that that gothic sort of deep south literature. I think he bought a, a student because he was a teacher. He bought a student into the house. The student had a copy of Highway 61 revisited under his Lucinda heard it as a sort of 17 year old or an 18 year old and her life changed. It opens with that called Compassion. Have compassion for everyone you meet, even if they don't want it. What seems conceit is always a sign, always a sign, always a sign. In fact, there's a little grab from that poem. So it's a Miller Williams poem. She says, or he says, have compassion for everyone you meet, even if they don't want it. What seems conceit, bad manners or cynicism is always a sign of things no ears have heard, no eyes have seen. You do not know what wars are going on down there where the spirit meets the bone. I really sort of found that an interesting opening cut for this album because when you look at the rest of the album, most of these songs are quite dark. A lot of people maybe are not deserving it of compassion, but like you get some some of the songs on the album like Cold Day in Hell. Before I trust you again, before you use me again, before I lust for you again, before you confuse me again, it'll be a cold, cold day. In hell, it'll be a cold, cold day in hell. Or foolishness, where she says, I'm not going to put up with your shit. This song's about self-belief, like protection or personal redemption. When I look at the world, that might be a step in the positive light. But a lot of these songs are fairly dark and in a negative sort of connotation. And yet she opens up with this song saying, believe the best in people show people compassion and a lot of the rest of the album is a long way from that so at least she's probably trying to say well i have problems with the world dad but i'm going to open up with a positive frame of mind that's your influence on me yeah one of your poems you're right because it's it's dark you know she talks about a cold day in hell she talks about the horror the homelessness the mental anguish of people who are struggling in west side of town east side of town sorry she invites politicians to come out and don't just sort of glad hand but go to the parts that are really rough something wicked this way comes there's a big mess uh, and then, you know, the temporary nature of any precious thing. I mean, song after song of beautiful playing, lots of background vocals, lots of long five-minute songs. There's a great song about, I think, about her brother trying to find her brother. Wrong number. Wrong number. Nobody here about that and 
she talks about, you know, wrong house, wrong suburb, wrong number. She's trying to find this guy, but he's cleared off. It, it, look, it might be her brother. It might be an old boyfriend. You know, she's had quite well publicised. She's talked about bad relationships. She's had blokes who have, have treated her badly and a lot of that has come out in her music. But she's been with the same guy, Tom Overby, for maybe 10 or 12 years. He's got a co-write on some of these songs. He also manages her. I think she has found peace and happiness with a partner who she trusts and sometimes you think, all right, an artist needs to be in a state of unease or unhappiness to make great art. Lucinda is an example of a writer who can dig into her past or who can dig into the lives of others and make songs and music and create worlds that do touch upon the dark side of life, but that doesn't mean she's going through it. She's incredible and really interesting. We found out only a month or so ago, I don't know if you came across this news, but she suffered a, a, a stroke, not a bad, not a, I'm sure bad, but not a something that incapacitated her, but it knocked her around and she, I think she had trouble with her her guitar playing. I think she did all those stream shows, you know, where she paid tribute to, um, sorry, that's my notification saying, Bin Knight, thank you. <laughs> um, she had trouble with speaking and standing and walking, but it came back pretty quickly. Mm, thank you. So really, really interesting. That's what I was going to say. She did all those streaming nights where she paid tribute to Dylan, to Tom Petty, to the Stones. She appeared on some little-known show, Brian at Home or something like yes. that. At Home with Brian, you know. It was, um, I think what it says, Morris, is you have a dream, you follow up, you make a few calls, you send a few emails, and sometimes people say, yes, I'll do your wacky show. I'd interviewed her for the ABC, so I'd got to know her, a, a woman called Joe Corbett, thank you, Joe, who does publicity for Lucinda. She had a, a new record out, which was the last one. The name escapes me at the moment, but a, a, I think another double, certainly a double vinyl, Rockin' album. Can you do you remember the name? No, of that? I don't. No, this is this is the last of her albums that I actually bought. Yeah, I've got it somewhere, but I won't get up and get it. But um, anyway, so I interviewed her. It was great with Jacinta. We had a good time. She was seemed in tip-top form, having a laugh, mucking around. And then when I started to do those little Zoom, Facebook, call it what you like shows. I did five of them and, you know, Mick Thomas and Rebecca Barnard and Kian and P.P. Um, Arnold in Spain. The quality was pretty ordinary and it looked dreadful and the sound was a bit out, but people don't mind. This is in the sort of early days of COVID, no. And then so for the final show, I thought, I wonder if Lucinda would do it. And then if I'm going to Nashville, Anne McHugh is there. I know Anne. Emma Swift has just done this album of Bob Dylan covers. Brian Cadd is in Woodstock. 
stock, Brian and the Rockwiz mob became good pals. I'll give it a go. Anyway, they all said yes. And it's a bit loose and it's a bit rough and it's a bit ready. And I think it's available on YouTube. I will put a link to yeah, that. Oh, in yeah, the show please notes. do. Absolutely. You bet. You but, bet. And she was she was incredible. Like she <laughs> she kept piping up. She left her mic on. Mm. And so, you know, the normal thing was that I'd talk to Lucinda, she'd do a song. Then I'd talk to Anne McHugh, she'd do a song and so on. And everyone would normally keep their mics off, but Lucinda wanted to jump in and, hey, Anne, what about that time when you you jumped (laughs) up on stage with me? And it was great. So it's going to be my album of the last 10 years. Fantastic. I think that my Zoom connection is going to fail out again. We've had two really lovely long sessions. So before it does, I'm just going to say huge thanks to you for making the time this morning, getting up early and yakking with me on the show and for just giving me so much entertainment over the years on Rock Quiz, on Let the Blood Run Free. Just fantastic. Thank you so much. Really, really appreciate it. My pleasure, Morris. You know, when I got that email, I thought, yeah, I'll do that. And the weird thing was, as I think I mentioned to you, I'd just been listening to Dan Warner and James Stewart, Jimmy Stewart, um, telling those great stories. And that's the, the podcast world for people who like to listen and to hear people who are passionate talk about music. We're living in a golden age. You talked about Marshall Crenshaw before. There's a podcast that is done. It's called Rocks Back Pages. With Barney Hoskins. Heard that episode the other week. Fantastic. How great is Marshall Crenshaw? Oh, he's he's tops in my book. Yeah, what's the doco that he's doing? Oh, Marshall is doing a music documentary. He did mention this. I've forgotten it as well. But yes. it'll give me it'll give me an excuse to reach out to him and see if he wants to talk about it on the, the See Here podcast. I tell you, the podcast thing, I you know, there's a great podcast. I think it might have been Rock's Back Pages or maybe Mark Marin talking to Ricky Lee Jones. And I thought, okay, Ricky Lee Jones has got a new book. I'll try and find her and sure enough she's happy for a chat you know these people these people want to spread the word and the little guys like us who are sort of fans and they go oh yeah I'll do it Mm, that was well some yeah of course (laughs) I've been I've been trying to get Ronnie Wood for about three years because I know his piano player Ben Waters and Ben keeps saying oh yeah Ronnie will do it yeah sure you know I'll I'll email him nothing nothing (laughs) it'll happen oh oh the pooch that's the the dog Thanks, oh, no. mate. All the best. Cheers. When you find yourself in my neighborhood, you can't wait to get the hell out. You want to see what it means to suffer. You want to see what it means to be down.
I hope that you got a lot out of those discussions. I'd like to give my huge thanks to my guests for this part, Bill Pinnell, Shane Pacey, Brian Nankervis, and also give another shout out to my guests for episode 147 in McFarlane, Jeff Jenkins, Eric Peterson, and Heather Drain. So I hope you've been making notes about albums that you need to follow up on, or maybe nod your head in agreement, or maybe disagreement with any of their selections. Okay, we've got the first 10 years out of the way. Let's start on the next set of 10 years. What's going to be happening for episode 149? What am I going to do for episode 150? I don't know. Do I celebrate it or not? Write me, triplerkitchen at yahoo.com.au or put something in the Facebook group to say whether I should celebrate that formally or not. I don't know. If you were listening back to episode 143 earlier on this year, you would have heard a discussion that I had with the great singer-songwriter Sarah Carroll. We were talking about the re-release of the late Chris Wilson's monumentally landmark album, Live at the continental as well as a bunch of her own recordings now sarah is coming back to the show for episode 149 but we won't be discussing her music what she's coming on to talk about is about the 45th anniversary of the release of a film that came out in 1976 that's 45 years ago for those of you who are not terribly good with arithmetic there was a film that we've actually discussed on the see here podcast called oz a rock and roll road movie had a lot of fun talking about that with the guys over there and Ian McFarlane was actually a guest on that show as well to talk about some peripherals around the making of that movie but Sarah had gone and said on Facebook that she and her son George were watching the film for the first time only a few months ago and she really loved the movie and really loved the soundtrack so I thought well there's a good opportunity to celebrate the film and its 45th anniversary is to focus for Love That Album on the soundtrack. Of course, there'll be some film talk because it's inevitable, but the soundtrack itself was very important. It was the first recordings for Jojo Zepp and the Falcons, and it was the first recordings, I think, for Ross Wilson post Daddy Cool, but before the commencement of his band Mondo Rock. So a lot to talk about with that album, and indeed, we'll probably be covering some stuff about the film. If you want to go back to find the See Here episode, please look that up. I'd be honoured and happy if you uh, chose to give that a listen as well. So looking forward to having both Sarah and George on the show next month. I'll also be looking into getting one of the members of Jojo Zepp and the Falcons onto the program for the details once I've had that confirmed. So until next month, please look after each other, listen to some great music, watch some great films, maybe some music-related documentaries if you can fit those in. That'd be great. And just look after each other. Please be nice. I'll see you next month. All the best. Cheers. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 